podcast my name is Andy and the demons have reclaimed top spot for the 23rd time since the start of 2021 after three straight losses the media the wider football community and even some of our own had their pitchforks and torches out but the D's answered the challenge in style as it cruised to a 64 point victory against the Lions on the big stage joining me tonight to dissect the win is longtime demon lander George Good evening, George. And good evening to Demon Landers. Well, tonight we hopefully we'll find out whether the MFCSS virus has been sufficiently vaccinated against and can it return? Oh, it can always return because we, we thought uh, it was done and dusted after a premiership, but it, all it took was a couple of losses in a row for it to to come uh, raging back. So, um, yeah, this has certainly put a little Band-Aid on my MFCSS, but uh, we'll see. That Band-Aid can be ripped off very quickly. Um, Also joining us tonight to enlighten us on how the Demons were able to overcome the dreaded training loading period is Bimman. Good evening, Bimman. Good evening, Andy. Good evening, George. Good evening, Demon Landers. And uh, just on loading, I think, Andy, you probably need a annual inoculation <laughs> at this point in time of the season. So just just ahead of the Queen's birthday next year, can I recommend that you don't watch any footy or maybe watch Casey smash um, the sums or, or some such and protect yourself, um, some sort of prophylactic or <laughs> inoculation against it because I'm predicting we will lose two or three in a row exactly this time next year. Well, uh, it's, it might need more than just a yearly dose. It might be a, an every three months type of thing, but uh, we'll see. Um, let's get into our match wrap-up, and I will admit that I was a little bit worried going into this top-of-the-table clash against the Lions on the back of three straight losses, and with all the talk on Demonland and on this podcast about us being in the midst of building up on our training loads, uh, which in turn can result in fatigue, as perhaps evidenced in our past few games where we've gone out and had healthy leads only to have been run over and had big scores kicked against us in the last halves. And with all that angst going into this match, as well as my own MFCSS, this, that is the classic Demons uh, fans veil of negativity, our first quarter did nothing to instill any confidence uh, in me about our ability to win this clash. I thought we were very lucky that they, and in particular Joe Danaher, uh, was very inaccurate. Otherwise, we would have been further down at quarter time. However... After the first break, I think we got uh, another glimpse of the return to the late 2021 form that we were blessed to witness in our drought-breaking premiership season. Our defensive structures were back. Our defensive rebounding game was back. We were scoring off turnovers again. Our intense pressure was back. and But for our inaccuracy in front of goal, our scoreboard pressure was back. And as well, our forward line was uh, functional, uh, pretty much. Uh, Again, uh, and make no mistake, the 64-point margin absolutely flattered the Lions. This was a mauling. It should have been north of an 80 to 90-point drubbing, but more on our inaccuracy a bit later on. And George will delve more into the return of our defensive structure shortly and the follow-on effects uh, when we talk uh, tactics a bit later. And welcome back, Stephen May. Uh, some quick statistics to back up that hearty welcome. Uh, without Stephen May in the team, we averaged 77.5 uh, points uh, against us, and that's sixth in the competition. But with Stephen May in the team, we average 60.6 points uh, against uh, to be number one in the comp. On, and that means, on average, teams score three goals less against us with Maisie in the side. B-Man, you said you, you want to say something? I do, just that I wonder that whether your MFCSS has actually sort of clouded your, um, your your watching of the game because it's a bit of a I've heard that um, a few times and I read a few comments about that on on Demonland about our first quarter but I don't think it really stands up to. Um, 
sort of analysis, I don't think. We were actually terrific in that first quarter. So were they. They were at their their peak. So, you know, it was a fantastic win, um, a brilliant win. I'll put a slight um, asterisk on it because there's no question in my mind whatsoever that they were, were fatigued. I had my binoculars on them at, um, during the three-quarter time on the, their bench and at the three-quarter time huddle. They were gassed. They were total ga- gassed. But some of our numbers in the first quarter, um, I, I thought we were terrific and I was really – I, what I was watching for is whether we'd freshened up and you can't tell in the first 20 minutes of a game because that's when you're least um, impacted by any um, extra loading that you might have done or training. And you could see that with, with the Lions. They were at their best um, um, in that period. But we, from about the 20-minute mark of that quarter, we wrestled the momentum back of that mass match. Yes, they could have um, jumped out to a bit of lead and they missed, but so did we. We missed some ones, not least of which Fritter not giving that um, that handball to to track for a certain goal. I mean, that was early early days, so that that's one down there. Um, but that goal that Harms got, for instance, deep in that last quarter, um, we were with about ninety seconds to go on the clock. We were fighting like caged um, lions to um, trap that ball inside our fifty and scrap for that ball um, that eventually kicked out to um, to Harms. Even um, Sparrow's mark was was incredible. Our intensity was fantastic in that first quarter. So not quite sure where the narrative comes that we were we sort of are a bit off the boil or they jumped us um to some other numbers that support that is at the end of the first quarter we led forward half ground ball 17 to 6 we were forward half contested possessions 26 to 11 we we led uh, inside 50s 12 10 and clearances were split um at seven a, a piece um not quite sure what the end of quarter contested possessions num- um, numbers were but the lions had 31 fewer contested possessions in their first half which was their worst first half differential um since round five in two th- 2016 which would suggest that we were ahead or at the very least break even for contested possessions in that quarter, in that first quarter. Um, but to be honest, I'd be really surprised if we weren't pretty well ahead of um, on the contested possession count at the end of the first quarter, given that number, given that it was 26 to 11 forward half um, um, uh, contested possessions at the end of first quarter. We smashed them in post-clearance um, possessions. As I was saying last week, we, we continue to be number one in that um, stat all season. Um, so those sorts of numbers don't suggest we lacked any sort of fizz or energy in that first quarter. Um, you know, I, I thought we, by the 20-minute mark, the last 10-minute mark, we, we wrestled that game. We were well on top and um, we never looked back from there. George, did you want to add something? Uh, yeah, I, I was just intrigued as to what you guys felt when we were 22 points up in the second quarter. You, you know what I, I felt <laughs> and what I thought was coming, a big man. <laughs> 20, uh, in why 22 points? Is there oh, some? Is there? Oh, it's just, just the previous couple of weeks was around about that point. The, 20 the, to 30 the points. Turned. Right. Well, no, I was total. I mean, as I said, I was really watching for the last 10 minutes. I said to the, um, to the, to my friends who I went to the footy with, uh, you know, We'll know in the last 10 minutes of the quarter whether how we're going to run this game out because that's when you get fully tested. And all the numbers started swinging our way big time in that last 10 minutes. And I was in the Ponsford stand all of that quarter um, in that last 10 minutes, a big three, four minutes of it was um, in our forward 50 and we did such a brilliant job of, of trapping it in. So once we got out to that lead, I had no... No question we're going to keep pushing away, but partly because, as I said, that's why I put a big asterisk. I, I wouldn't be reading too much into um, Brisbane's form. I wouldn't be cert- certainly wouldn't be writing them off um, based on that because they were they were totally gassed by halftime. And you could just, just look at their, you know, they were, at the three-quarter time huddle, I, w- I looked at our boys. None of them, not one single player uh, had their hands on the hips or the knees. I reckon 50% of the Lions players at the three-quarter time huddle were sucking wind still near the end of, the, uh, you know, only a minute or so before they were about to um, run under the ground. Hands on hips, hands on knees, that sort of pulling the jumpers down, that stuff. They were they were, they were shagged. There's so no are question you, about it. are you saying we eased up during the week before... Uh, yeah, yeah, no question. We freshened up. There's no, there's no question. Well, the so. boys took four days off um, yeah. uh, early on in the week after last week's game, um, and then would have got back into it 
Um, and, and I suspect they kept on going. Brisbane Lion kept on loading because they've lost six of their last seven finals that they've played. They're in the same position as the Cats were. Exactly the comments that Scott made about, you know, whatever they've done hasn't been good enough at the pointy end of the season. That's The history has proven that for both the Cats and the Lions. They've got to change something and they can't go with Melbourne. They cannot go with Melbourne come finals. So I suspect that they continue to keep loading. They, they've looked ahead. Um, um, and they, they flogged them on the track. Some of their numbers were outrageous. So as an example, you can just see in the numbers for us in terms of, you know, you can pick any number of them, but the one that's the most obvious, our the sort of bellwether um, um, stat for Melbourne in terms of whether our method, as Goody calls it, is working or not, is um, points from turnover. In the last, in those three losses, I forget them, I don't have them at hand what the numbers were, but they fell off a cliff. I think we only got like in one game, seven points from turnovers maybe against Sydney. You know, it didn't break double figures barely in the other two games. I think we didn't we even s- get any or against Collingwood. Or against, that's right. We, we had 77 points from turnovers on the um, Thursday. That just doesn't happen by magic. And But they were – their numbers, that, as I said, that's the worst first-half um, contested possession differential for six years. Their, their numbers, their, their stats, all of their key stats completely fell away. Um, Saints are going through the same thing at the moment. And, and I think, I suspect that that's all about recognition that, you know, they've got to do something to be competitive with Melbourne come finals. Um, we were incredible last year, our ability to run over the top of teams. Um, and it's all about September. It's not about now, particularly for a team like Brisbane, who, as I said, they've been up the pointy end for, what, the last four or five years? Top four, maybe they've finished the, the last three years and haven't come close to winning a flag in that period. Um, you know, they, they've they got to change something. Um, there's no way that they weren't. So, the, yeah, I'd say definitely we freshened up. I suspect we'll probably do another block of heavy training in the lead-up to this game. We've got a good break, and then we'll freshen up again for the Cats game, um, which we've only got a five-day break between the Crows game and the, um, the Cats on the Thursday night. I think one of the most telling things out of that Chris Scott uh, post-game interview to, uh, a week ago was he said, it doesn't matter who you play, it's when you play them. And yeah. I think I think that was certainly the case in this game. Um, Brisbane pick, sure picked a bad time to, to be playing against us and just as equally we picked a good time to be playing against Brisbane because yeah. they, they were very, very different. And each club around this period has got different priorities around loading and, and training and things like that. I don't think Collingwood, for example, is loading at the moment simply no. because they're trying to get into the finals. Exactly. Every, every Richmond game. the same. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, exactly. So that's a, that's a really good point. I mean, the other thing about Brisbane is that if they were thinking about the freshness, and, and I think Frio did the same thing. Frio have dropped off. If you look at the numbers, and, and if you listen to David King and Montagna and about the numbers they put up, they use the numbers in their core four with, you know, the, what they do without the ball, what they do with the ball, their post-clearance possession, which, by the way, we've never dropped from under one in our post-clearance possession all season, despite our dip. Those numbers are put up as a sort of cause, and, and they're a symptom and they equally be read as a symptom of fatigue um, and Brisbane may have looked at this game and thought you know what if even if we play our very very best football if the D's play their best football with almost their best 22 on the park at the MCG at their home ground we're no better than a 60 40 chance of winning this game a 40 60 um, chance of winning this game so if we are so why not load up take it now we don't we don't need to beat them now we need to beat them in September um, so if you think there's a good chance you you know you're gonna lose the game anyway um, why not you know throw your cards in so yeah I mean there's that would be the big asterisk on our win it was fantastic it was a fantastic performance no question about it and but their fatigue definitely played a factor whatever the cause um, was it? But what it, what was interesting, and George will talk about the tactics. But the that method, the Melbourne method that Goody's been talking about, um, you know, when the other teams um, fatigue like they were, you can really see our game plan because the other team can't control it. And so all of the things that I was talking about last week about our offense being tied to our defense was there writ large on the weekend. I mean, our forward line did bugger all did it you know we had what mm. we had two goals between our three t- um, talls one of them um, was to Jackson which was a handball receive uh, 25 metres out from goal um, we had one mark and goal which was from Brown the rest were all flooding forward and getting ahead of the ball um, you know multiple options inside our 50 because of that swarm that um, I've been talking about 
Well, Brown did kick a couple. He was one goal three and uh, Fritch three goals two. Um, yeah, not included. I don't, yeah. When I meant to say yeah. the tall, I meant my our three talls. Yeah. You know, um, he's a quasi tall, I guess, but yeah. uh, Fritter. All right, let's follow. Let's keep uh, on with the uh, match wrap up. Uh, another follow on effect of having uh, Maisie in the side is the role and form of Jake Lever. And George, I know you're going to talk about him in your positive, so I hope I'm not stealing your thunder. So I'll just say the 15 intercepts, uh, eight, eight intercept marks, and 100% kicking efficiency, 90% disposal efficiency. So. Thank you, uh, Stephen May, for uh, releasing the uh, the, the lever. Um, our midfield was simply purring against the Lions, uh, pardon that obvious pun. Uh, Jack Viney was absolutely sensational. He was his bullocking uh, best, busting through clearances, ferociously tackling, including a tackle on Coleman, in which if you closely look at the footage, you can actually see the moment that Coleman's soul escapes his body. Uh, 34 <laughs> possessions, 19 contested, 10 inside 50s, 8 clearances, 8 score involvements, 7 tackles, 579 metres gained. Probably one of the best games he's played for the club. He was superb. Uh, for most of the match, Clayton Oliver looked to be heavily tagged, but that doesn't seem to deter Clary. He still racked up 35 possessions, 21 contested, 12 clearances and 11 score involvements. And it was not Nice return to form uh, or to the, that great for, finals form of track with 31 possessions, nine inside 50s, eight clearances, nine score involvements and almost 800 metres gained. And my boy James Jordan continued on in the role uh, in, in the role of a surprise, and I guess not so surprise, packet of the year with 24 possessions and two goals. And a shout out as well to Harmsey who was given the role of negating Lockie Neal, whom he not only was able to effectively shut down and restrict to 22 touches, but he's had 14 of his own and he's kicked two goals to boot. And I'll talk more about our rucks without Max in my positives for the match, but suffice to say I was impressed with both Luke Jackson stepping up into the role he's been groomed for and also Sam Wiedemann's role as a backup ruck. More on that later. Our forward line uh, was a bit more functional this week and most likely due to the return of May and the more settled structure. We had an even contribution from the bigs, mediums and small forwards. Brown, one goal, three. Fritch, three goals, two. Bedford and Cozzy, two goals apiece. And Spargo and Nibbler, a goal apiece. A shout out to Bedford who really took his opportunity to show his wares. We intentionally went into the game with a shorter, a shorter up, uh, forward line than we normally do, uh, which gave Toby that opportunity. And I thought he did a sensational job twice. Uh, he backed himself rather than t- he rather than do what a lot of young players tend to do when they think they have to, or what they think they have to do in terms of doing the team things and maybe quickly giving off a handball, which is often not to the right player or the right spot. Uh, Toby's backed himself and he sold some candies, kicked a beautiful goal, and a little earlier he's kicked that beautiful check side. And Goody stated that we won't always go small in the forward line, but Toby certainly put his hand up after spending many a game on the pine as the Medi sub. And you just have to look at Tom Sparrow and I guess Jake Bowie and know that it's all about taking your chances at the right time. And both of those guys have a premiership medal to show for it. Uh, any other any other general comments uh, about the game, guys, before we go into our tactics uh, talk? Uh, George? Uh, just briefly on Jack Viney, uh, I, I noticed in, in this game, probably for the first time, how much more he's using his legs to power out of the situation. Out of that, yeah. it, it, it's yeah. something that we've become accustomed to uh, with Petrarca. He was born with that probably. Um, Oliver de- has developed it to be able to create that initial first metre or two away from the contested situation. But Viney really uh, showed it a, um, a lot to great effect in this game. And I think that might be a, a small change that we're seeing in the way he's playing. Just a couple of thoughts. Just picked up on Viney again. His kickings improved so much. Like he he doesn't waste the ball. Very rarely, sort of those helicopter um, kicks to sort of nowhere in particular. He, he was sensational, wasn't he? He was absolutely sensational. There was again with the theme that we've talked about. Goody's presses are really enlightening, and um, you know t- he's really emphasising the Melbourne method. But he big emphasis on two things in his presser and comments around the game was the sort of focus on role again is the the critical nature of everyone playing their role, but also an emphasis on 
um, the team things and celebrating the team uh, efforts. And did you notice when he was down, I thought, oh, no, he's done his hammy when he was yeah. on his back on the wing. We ended up scoring a goal. I had my binoculars on. <laughs> I didn't see the goal at all because I had my binoculars worried that Viney had done a hammy. It looked pretty bad. But after that, um, we'd scored the goal. I think Cosy um, scored a pretty easy goal. Is that a third of the team ran across to um, Viney yeah. on the wing and got around Viney and I wasn't quite, quite sure why. <laughs> I know it was a great effort on the wing, but there were a number of those things where they were really focused and energised on the team things and they said afterwards that it was a real focus. Um, just a couple of other thoughts was one um, – Tim Watson's son, Job, is he's a mangler of the English language. And um, but when you watch the game live, it doesn't hurt so much when you uh, when you go to the game. Because so I found it just funny, not um, frustrating when he said Melbourne have got all of the tricks in their tool bags. It was like the sort of I was doing my head in that sort of mixed metaphor. The other thought was. Um, for such a beautiful kick, May can butcher the ball, can't he? That that missed oh, target where he set up the goal. goal yeah. oh, and if Brisbane were up and about, could have brought them back into the game because they had they would no momentum. They could barely get the ball inside their fifty. Um, and just the other thought, I was saying to uh, my mate at the game how well um, Gus has been marking the footy this year, yeah. and then he just kept on racking up. Mark's all game. He was incredible. He just he's just been phenomenal. And as we said last week, he he must be a chance at all Australian um, halfback flank. I hope so. Um, let's move on uh, to tactical talk uh, tonight. Our tactical talk segment, George. You're going to be taking us uh, uh, through the return of our backline structure and their follow-on effects. Yeah, the, uh, we've talked about this in the previous weeks usually in the absence of one player or another, particularly Stephen May over the last couple of weeks, but also people need to remember how Lever was injured earlier on in the season and he wasn't there. I think this is the first time this year that we've had May, Lever, Hibbert and Petty all playing in the back in the same back line. Um, and boy, did it, did it show. It's just the old team getting back together um, and particularly Hibbert, I think, um, just complements... Uh, that whole structure. The the effect of that is suddenly re- we saw a return to the um, that halfback line wall um, where we just kept on intercepting again and again and again. And Brisbane, unfortunately, I was just astounded at how they didn't react to that whatsoever. Um, I was sitting with a couple of people and they kept complaining about uh, Coleman and Berry getting free cheap, uh, cheap uh, kicks and possessions uh, in their half-back line and moving the ball up the wing, forgetting that um, people like Langdon and A and B were already blocking the path and when eventually they gave, uh, put a kick into their forward line in the hope that someone like Danaher or Hip would, would uh, mark it, they're standing in a wall with Lever and Petty and May and Hibbert. They, they, it was just a reinvention of our structures all over again. The other thing that I was really impressed with is looking at um, Brisbane's previous games, Daniel Rich is a, a real weapon in that half-back line, particularly his, his kickouts. If he can run 10 metres and then kick it 60 metres up the ground, it really launches their attacks in a big, big way. We completely obliterated him in, in this game. The forwards were obviously instructed, don't let him run, and they were much playing much more... Um, uh, defensive, defensively on him but in particular, so to deny them that outlet opportunity. So, um, yeah, it was really great to see the, the structures go back in place and then further up the ground you see the effects of those structures in place, the number of turnovers we get, the number of pressure acts that all comes together because people have got got some run in their legs but also you've got the right people back in, the back, in that back line again. And... Um, what, what was uh, their final score? How many points? 50-odd points or something like that. Um, that that just takes us back to where we were before with, as Andy said in his opening uh, address, you know, um, the average is around about 60 points kicked against us and we were below that level again to try and restore some of our averages. So, yeah, the back, back line um, coming back. The other stra- really strange thing, um, given their circumstances, was um, Brisbane's interchanges. They only had 67 out of a possible 75. 
they're depending almost entirely on individual games, individual efforts. I don't see the same level of team actions. Uh, they keep their stars on the ground longer, but I think they're wearing them out and as opposed to spreading the load uh, amongst the, uh, the critical players that they do have in their side. So it's not surprising that they drop off. They're just they're, they're tired and they're getting even more tired. And if they are loading, why would you certainly um, only have 67 interchanges for the whole game. It's very strange to me. It's down back. I, I, I could make a case for Salem being about the most underrated footballer in the AFL. Everyone knows he's good, but I, I don't know that he gets the credit for how good. Um, and it was probably, he, he was quiet in his first couple of weeks, but he was excellent on, the, on Thursday, but excellent in his understated way. And I think the, the flow-on effect of having Salem back um, is that it frees up Bowie not to be the that sort of go-to halfback flanker. We've got Gus down there as well. He can go back to that linchpin role and then Bowie can be a much more sort of, you know, he, he can play... Um, take a small if he needs to, he can run off. He doesn't have to play that sort of quarterback role that um, that Salem does. He, he's a really important part of our defensive system and it's a good point you make about the way they denied Rich. We talked about that on the podcast last year in both of the the, the game that we played them in whatever it was it, during the home and away and in the final, Cozzy in particular, but everyone manning the mark when Rich was in that pocket was really across to make sure that he had to kick wide or he couldn't sort of boom, had no space to run into to release it. And part of that strategy is they let Brisbane have that little dinky kick into the pocket. Um, the other interesting thing, George, I've, I find is the sort of flip to the the defensive is the defensive wall that they set up to stop the team exiting um, the, the our half of the ground. Um, in that, from about twenty minute in the twenty minute mark of the first quarter, they were brilliant at trapping um, Brisbane inside the sort of even the third our third of the ground and sort of just outside that fifty. Um, and you could see Brisbane getting frustrated, sort of trying to switch. But we're just so happy for the opposition to go lateral in our defensive zone. Um, I think at one point we got that we our first goal was triggered by them coming into the centre um, and trying to switch when Frida got his hand to it and knocked it down. I'm pretty sure that was the trigger for our first goal. Um, but they just work so well together, don't they? And, you know, even with Maybach, I didn't really notice Petty that much. He did what he needed to do. But, you know, the, as you say, the three, those three talls work so well together, but I think they're complemented by such a good group of halfback flankers as well. And, yeah, um, yeah they're, they're, their synergy was terrific. Just another tactical thing for this game I found really interesting, and I hadn't, I hadn't seen anyone sort of note this in the media, but we had a clear... Um, focus um, on forward handballs. Uh, and in the first 15, 20 minutes, we missed quite a few of them under the uh, heat that uh, the Lions were bringing. Um, but it was evident. Remember the game last year against Richmond, the Anzac Eve game last year? Um, we had a huge amount of handballs. By the end of the first quarter, or even halfway through the second, I think it was, we had 30 handballs more than them. Um, and so we were clearly trying to chain away from the contest. But a lot of them were long handballs, over the top into like forward handball. So it was, it was clearly evident what they were trying to do to chain away from um, the the contest. And Goody said in that the game last year against Richmond that maybe they overdid it a little bit. And he said something similar in the presser that, you know, they missed a few and maybe they were a bit too aggressive. Um, but it was clear what they were trying to do. And partly he made the point against Richmond, he didn't make it against Brisbane, but Richmond bring an extra to the contest and so do Brisbane um, to stoppages, I should say. They bring a, an extra, sometimes two to the stoppage, um, meaning that if you can get it out the front or away from that stoppage, you can get out into open space, which is what we did really well and once we started getting on top you know if you look back at our goals a lot of them were, were triggered by long handballs into space that we ran onto um, a couple of beauties from um, Jackson actually um, let's move on to our positives um, my positive is our rucks without Max and we go into this top of the table clash without our five-time All-Australian Premiership number one Ruckman in Max Gorn and Max has been a staple of this team 
for a number of years, so the prospect of games, in particular crucial matches such as this one, is always going to be daunting. But enter our 20-year-old apprentice, Luke uh, Jackson. I thought Luke had a fantastic night in the ruck. Obviously, the game styles between master and apprentice are vastly different. Max with his tap work and marking around the ground. And Luke with his athleticism and his ability to be an extra mid, essentially, uh, once the ball hits the deck. And Luke played an important role in the win, racking up 21 possessions, 10 contested, 18 hitouts, 4 to advantage, 9 tackles, 6 inside 50s, 3 clearances a goal. And granted, his opponent had 29 hitouts. Outs. He had 12 clearances himself and 23 disposals. But I thought Luke was a bit more damaging in terms of the impact on the scoring. Um, he's had more inside 50s and more score involvements uh, with less 5% less time on the ground uh, than his opponent. Uh, it was a really... Uh, really good uh, first sort of solo outing for, for, for Luke. And um, I also thought Weed played his role as backup, real with, uh, backup well uh, with 10 hit-ups. 10 hit-outs of his own and four to advantage. He seemed to be a lot more, have a lot more physical presence presence in his in this role than we've seen in his forward roles this season. I felt he used his body well. Uh, he used his body more. Uh, and if Max doesn't return this week, which I don't think he will, um, I think he'll keep his spot in that role. What did you guys think of our two rucks? Yeah. I'll, I'll start there. Yes, yeah, Jackson, Jackson was uh, magnificent. Um, I was really worried about the physical aspect against McInerney. Um, but uh, the athleticism of Jackson enables him watching his tip at, uh, hit outs. He's able to avoid that body-on-body contact mm. beautifully. And he actually hits the ball backwards over his head a lot, <laughs> sort of forwards. It's hard to explain. You'd have to look at it in... in replay to to notice it but it avoids that front on contact it's something that um i don't think we want to continue for a long period of time with luke let's hope max gets back soon because um the rucks are just a battering ram uh, against each other in particular and we don't want to lose luke's athletic uh, capabilities but he's fantastic we did exactly what he was required to do and that was simply to deny the opposition um create the um uh, bring the ball to ground as best he can, but stop the opposition from getting a, getting a, a, an uncontested hit out or something like that because we had a superior, the rest of the mids were far superior and we were able to um, uh, not lose anything uh, when we came into the ruck. Um, he'll be back next week simply because at the moment we have no other option. Uh, the concern was for Weed is that that's all he brought to the game. He was, I only noticed him... Um, in the forward role once or twice. Um, you can't expect to get further games just on a backup ruck experience. Uh, he only took one mark for the whole game. Um, but um, he's all we've got at the moment, um, and he'll be back, but um, uh, he, he needs to show a little bit more than um, than even he showed in this game to warrant staying in the side when, when Max does return. His contest and effort was good, and as you say, that's exactly what he needed to do. And um, I thought his aggression at the um, at the ball and also the opposition was good as well. And that's really the thing that I'm sure that the coaching staff want to see. And that was behind Goody's comment about playing. You know, maybe, maybe said it a bit inelegantly, but you know, the big boy comment was. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that Goody didn't mean it like a sledge, even though it came out like one. But yeah, I thought he was—he was good. I thought Jackson was just terrific. Like those numbers are just brilliant. Is that what was it? 21 possessions, you said, Andy, and um, yeah. I, I thought it was clever too. The way that um, you're right, uh, uh, George. It's interesting. He rucks like a—he he rucks like a basketballer who's got knows he's got a leap who can run at it the contest. Um, and um, but w- what was clever tactically was that he his ability around the ground really exposed McInerney. I thought uh, McInerney on paper really should have dominated that game in terms of being able to feed his midfield. But um, Jackson struggled. Uh, you know, sorry, um, made him struggle when the ball hit the deck. Um, and you got to love Jackson's energy, don't you? He, he's just an up and about um, sort of sort of young fella. So no, I agree. They were both terrific and. You know, um, I'm happy to see Weed in there. And I, I, I like him as a ruck. I reckon he's got pretty good ruck craft and it gets him in the game. And you can't, you know, you, it's a bit like maybe the sort of argument about playing players who are struggling up forward 
down back because they can run at the ball and see it coming at them. In, in the ruck, you're in the in, in it. Um, you're involved when you're in it. So um, yeah, I, I thought he was really good. Um, just a question from um, in the chat room from Engorge Onion about the about um, not the Goodwin's choice not to and the football department's choice not to bring an extra or match an extra at the clearance, what the purpose around the choice to do so is and what the strategic advantage does it give us? The, the easy answer is that it, what it does is it enables our intercept game because if um, you, it's a strategic choice. If you bring an extra up to the contest, that extra can't play uh, in another position, and our extra is our loose defender. Um, so that's why we're able to engineer a loose defender so often. And when they pressure dump kick, uh, as lazy points up, our intercepts are, um, um, game is fully built built on our ability to pressure up the field and make those kicks difficult. If we can pressure that that kick away from a contest, even if they win the contest, you know we back our balls to to match it to halve it, even with a numerical disadvantage. Um, if we don't win it ourselves, we look we halve it um, or create another stoppage. If we do lose it, we so often put the person um, who wins the clearance uh, under a lot of pressure, so they dump kick, and when they do dump kick, they kick to our spare our spare who would otherwise be up at the contest matching theirs is sitting back on the halfback flank and we saw it time and time again didn't we with the ball getting kicked we see it all the time it's basically the sort of it's almost the fundamental part you know it's the most melbourne type thing if you wanted to pick one thing out it's having our loose goalkeeper defender um that we have that player deep that's not always the spare um but yeah we engineer our spare to for him to be playing behind the ball and we take our, you know, we back our bulls in to win three against four, sometimes three against five. Um, George, your positive for this week is uh, Jake Lever. Uh, yeah, what more can you say about Jake Lever? Yeah, there were people worried about his uh, fitness and the like in previous weeks when he was playing without um, his reliable uh co-defenders um, in some cases all on his own but he certainly came back to form this week you know, 15 intercepts that's that's just off the board completely you know all the things we've been talking about you know uh, bin man just right there and then you know when the, the kick comes out of the of the contest there's Jake Lee ta- um, taking those intercept marks and he's doing it on his own as a general rule mind you he also gave um, denied the opportunities to Hipwood and, and Danaher in a big, big way um, as a result of that um, because he's he's covering the space as well that those mm. guys need. need. So, um, yeah, eight marks in the game. What more can you say? Absolutely everything that you wanted from him uh, became the, the um, uh, springboard for multiple attacks and we saw the effects of that down the ground. And again, what we're talking about before in the, the defensive structures, the, the system is back together when Jake Lieber is taking 15 intercepts uh, during the game. Yeah, totally. And one of the really interesting things, George, about Lever's game this year is that he's actually not into, he's not floating free as often as he did last year. He is often manning up directly on an opponent. Then he still zones off that play um, that player a lot, um, and he, he seems to have got more confidence in his marking and his one on one. But he seems bigger in the chest as well. So you know, I wonder whether you know, I want. Don't know how long it takes to get fully over a knee that he had. He's fully over it now, but his marking is is as good as it's been in his whole time at the club. One of the things I really love in, uh, being at the ground, as I've spoken about any number of times, I, I like to sit up at the Ponsford stand and uh, there was very few people up there, so I could have my very perfect spot and I'm right behind the goal. And one of the great things about that is that you can – obviously watch the whole field but you know what you can't see on television with their tight cropping of the angle is is players getting ready um, as the ball's coming towards them and prepared and one of the things um, that really jumped out um, to me watching Lever when he was directly below me um, is how quickly he reads the ball off the boot and it's almost you know it's almost in a way sort of 
his intercept skills is as if he's, um, you know, he, he's just waxing off other players and they're doing all the hard work. Um, but it's partly um, built on how brilliant, how quickly he moves. He's so often on the, the weekend, he was, t- he took the first step before the forward to where the ball was going and um, really, really clever footballer, a natural footballer and um, in and great to see him in good form. Good, good get that one, George. Oh, I had myself on mute. Um, B-Man, you wanted to talk about our young guns and a not-so-young one in uh, Hibbard. Yeah, I just want a real shout-out to our younger players and sort of, you know, Sparrow, Jordan, Cozzy, Cozzy, um, uh, Jackson, of course, um, Bedford, um, you know, that's a good third of the team. We've got Rivers, um, you know, who hopefully will get back to his best and um, will get another crack at it. Um, got Chandler pushing up, uh, obviously, but that's a really terrific, um, you know, group of young players and it's worth sort of reminding ourselves, Collingwood, everyone loving Collingwood at the moment, but when we played them, we, were a, we had a younger on average team, less games average in that game. So, you know, it really augurs well for the future to have that um, those young players pushing up. But I love their energy. And I just I, I just think Cozzy is one of the most naturally smart footballers I can ever recall seeing. He's so clever. Um, the way he sort of looks to disrupt contests, just he seems like he's got an incredible ability to think not just one step of what's happening, like two or three steps ahead of what's happening. He's already there. And um, that goal he got where they slung him around, they basically slung him into the goal. Yeah, Yeah, that was, again, that was directly below me and it was barely believable because he was facing the wrong way at one point. Um, I just just love the way he goes about his footy. And I'll put my hand up and, you know, I thought Hibbo was probably – on the tail end of his career and would struggle to get into this um, team. But he was mighty on the weekend. He's been mighty now for the last, you know, two or three weeks. And But he he was terrific. He, he completely and utterly shut out Cameron. And, and a query I'd have if I was a Lions fan on Cameron is he doesn't offer enough pressure when he's not kicking goals, unlike Cozzy. Like, Cozzy can have a hugely influential five-possession game, whereas you can't quite see Cameron doing that because he doesn't apply the same level of pressure. But um, I, I thought Hibbo was awesome and he seems to have... He seems to be moving super well as well. He seems to be as moving as well as he was at any time last year. So, yeah, big shout-out to him. Let's get on to um, uh, some improvements and uh, perhaps I'm being pedantic about this and, after all, inaccuracy was a major issue for me last season um, and it didn't bite us on the bum then. And throughout the final series, we actually had our kicking boots on. We were able to kick straight when it mattered. But having said that, our inaccuracy frustrates me to no end. The only thing that it cost us this week was some percentage and our percentage is very healthy as it is, and perhaps it also cost us some pride and bragging rights, but that doesn't really amount to anything in the wash-up of the season. But it's just frustrating that this is perhaps one aspect of our game that has seen no improvement. I spoke about it last week in our mid-season review. Go have a listen to it uh, uh, after you listen to this episode. But, um, yeah, inaccuracy, it, it frustrates me. George, I know it frustrates you too. And as I said, it didn't cost us anything this week except a bit of percentage and bragging rights. It's um, something that doesn't seem to go away, but I think particularly in this game, um, I was going to talk about the forward structures a little bit in any case. Um, You can go into that now. Yeah. um, We only had three set shots for the whole game, um, surprisingly. Um, All our goals, as we mentioned before, came from all the small forwards and mids um, so without set shots, your percentage naturally goes down regardless. But that's also a problem in terms of the forward structure going forward. In this game, uh, you know, Fritch did exactly what Fritch does every game. You know, he kicked three goals. That was fantastic. Um, only one, I think, from a set shot. Um, ben Brown only got one from a set shot. Um, but what's going to happen... Uh, in the next game, once again, even in this one, in in this game, Ben Brown was doubled and triple and double teamed and triple teamed at time. He's the only tall that we had in the forward line. At one point, I noticed we had Brown, we had Cozzy, A and B, and Spargo, Bedford, um, 
uh, Harms and oh, there was someone, someone else. Oh, Fritch. All of all of those players, um, apart from Ben Brown, are under 192 centi- 190 centimetres. Brisbane had uh, Andrews at 202, Adams at 192, and Payne at 197. They had the tools all the time. We went small. It was to our advantage in this game, the way we played. But what um, you're probably going to need an extra tool in there come come the finals time. Um, so that's the area that probably needs improvement. I wish Petrarca would pick up on his um, kicking abilities. He's kicked nine twenty one for the season. <laughs> um, I, I noted, you know, two or was it two games ago? Um, he was working prior to the game with. Um, uh, Choco Williams and uh, didn't nail a single <laughs> practice set shot. I don't know that he's improved all that much. So hopefully Choco needs to keep working particularly hard. But again, he's a midfielder. Nine twenty-one. Um, our other midfielders are probably doing the same sort of thing. Um, we got away. Numbers shocking too. He's yeah. not, it's similar. Yeah. I think uh, he's like three one, thirteen or something. Yeah, I think he's only uh, he got one in this game, didn't he? I think that that's his second goal for the season. I think yeah, yeah. two just, twelve or something. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's just just ridiculous. And we're getting the ball. We're getting the shots at goal. Um, and it was particularly evident in this game. But um, uh, people talk about lowering your eyes. We can lower all our eyes all we like, but there's no forwards there to kick them to in the first place. And the people who are kicking them are the ones who are scoring for us. So um, it's too simplistic to say lower your eyes. Ben Brown's still going to have two people sitting on him. It's a fair fair call, I think, um, George. But it was funny after the game. I had to laugh. I was listening to ABC radio and I'm a walk back to the to Flinders Street and I forget um, who, who the uh, commentator was who made this comment. Said, oh, you know, the watch that I have on Melbourne's the forward line. Um, and someone pointed out immediately, they just scored 116 points, had 30-odd scoring point, um, thing. And they scored, I think we were like 65%. Um, inside 50s mm. to um, score ratio. So, um, it was a funny night to pick it, but, uh, I mean, I agree. I think that, that's, that you know, if we can can go up in a level, that's going to certainly help. But, I mean, it goes back to the point we said last week that no matter where you, where you cut it, we're going to miss the T-Mac, aren't we? Mm, absolutely. <laughs> Excuse me. Excuse me. Um, well, big man, you've got TBC here. I have well, no there, so I've, I've put it in the <laughs> chat uh, there. I've got my improvement, and it's not a major one, I guess. Oh, there is, you go. Yep. Um, is Frida, that was a shocking, that was a really bad um, ref, non, non-handball to track. It was early in the game. It was another one that was right below me. Um, there was no excuse for not giving that, even if, like, sometimes it's 50-50 and you think, well, you know, just shoot, kick it yourself. That was not one of those examples here, 100%. I mean, track would have turned and, you know, walked into an open goal. He did it a bit later as well where he took a shot where he dribbled it, I think it may be in the um, third quarter, where he took a dribble shot from the boundary line where he didn't have a player on, but the play was to kick it back into the corridor. That was like a super low percentage shot. Um, Perhaps it was in the last quarter actually, but I didn't like it. And, you know, it was against both those bits of player against team rules. And I thought Brown also, he burnt Nibbler super bad where he, instead of easy hand again in the last quarter, uh, instead of an easy handball over the top to Nibbler, all by himself. I think I'm pretty sure it was Nibbler in the um, kicking to the uh, punt road end. He elected to kick on his left, unbalanced, sort of taking a snap around his body on his left and got nowhere near it. It looked a little bit like a player who's desperate to, to get some form back himself, Brown, at the um, expense of giving up a goal. I mean, but all three examples I thought weren't great. Um, and really, you know, it's bit of a cliche, but un-Melbourne, really, I thought. So, you know, I hope that's the last we see of them. The Fritch one uh, to Petrarca, uh, he obviously had no awareness of what was behind him. Do you think he had been verbally told, you're hot, you're hot, by... Who? By, uh, did you think Fritch had been told by uh, Petrarca? Well, there's no, Fritch knew he was hot. He had three players... <laughs> Bear and Although down. he had zero awareness of it. Uh, no, no, no. He knew that he was about to get – of course he knew. I mean, he was in the bloody 
two metres, five metres <laughs> out from his goal. Of course he's going to be about Yeah, but to I thought tackle. he was a bit slow with it if he was aware that there were people behind him. That's what I'm getting at. Well, either way, that didn't, doesn't really matter. He should have handballed to the uh, player. Of course he should have handballed it. It's why I think he had no awareness that he was hot, nah, that the guy was nah, right on was, his tail. It was just a classic example of a forward being greedy and wanting to kick the first goal of the game, I reckon. Um, <laughs> he, he, he knew it was hot. There's no, like, the game was just had just commenced. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was within the first 90 seconds of the game and Track, <laughs> track kept his hat, arms up. Arms up, hands up for quite a long time. He, did. he didn't he say anything. Like though. a Madonna for a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it, was, it was the only way Track could improve his goal kicking. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> I still wouldn't give him a huge amount of um, percentage if it was a set shot. <laughs> that was, uh, he missed a, a Track on on the uh, was it on half time or three quarter time? I think it was. That uh, uh, was down time, to the punt road, and yeah. again, I'm pretty sure it was yeah, the third, third quarter. quarter. Yeah, yeah, third quarter. Yeah. Should have kicked that. He's really got to improve that. It's uh, a post, though. That was yeah. pretty good for him. <laughs> Getting closer. <laughs> yeah. Maybe he'll kick one next week. Um, well, if I was him, if I was his kicking coach, I'd say, do not aim for goal. No matter what you do, just aim anywhere else but between the goals. Casey. Uh, they remained undefeated and retained top spot on the ladder when they defeated the Gold Coast by 76 points. Mitch Brown had 20 disposals, took nine marks and kicked six goals, six. Jacob Van Ruin uh, had 12 possessions and kicked three goals. Binman or George, who who watched this? George? Uh, yeah, yeah. You did. Which, which other demons impressed you at Casey this week? Oh, it was another interesting game. Um, uh Casey is still undefeated and another 76-point win. I, I think they're up to something ridiculous, 170% or something on the on the ladder, but they're uh, well and truly uh, sitting on top in the VFL ladder. It was interesting watching the game. It was beautiful up in uh, sunny uh, Gold Coast. Um, the, the ground was a bit strange. It, uh, it was almost like a, a circular ground. Um, it's, I, it seemed, I believe it's their training, oh, the Gold Coast Suns training ground. It's next um, to Metro. They must have moved the cows off it then. <laughs> it's a really it's paddock. A, I thought that. Yeah, that's it's paddock. That's all the all that seems to surround the place. Okay, so it's not. Yeah, the, but, it's not their training ground. Well, it could be, it could be, but uh, uh, anyhow, the um, yeah, it was very strange sort of ground to look at. Um, very seemed to be very round. Players that go to the pockets and just keep on going and going and still not hit the boundary line, but. Um, Anyhow, regardless, Casey certainly adapted to the nice warm weather pretty well, um, which probably shows how much um, the environment at Casey re- reduces the player's ability by running around in the sleet. But uh, it was very pleasant up there for them. Uh, it was interesting um, to see uh, Mac Andrew, who was part of the um, Melbourne Football Club Academy, uh, playing uh, with Gold Coast. Uh, for First time I've seen him play, but strangely they played him at full back. Yeah, the, the guys are a, a stick at the moment, and they're playing him at full back. He's thought, he needs to put some weight on. He does, <laughs> yeah. But I thought, gee, I, I hope they just don't ruin this kid's career by doing something like this to him. But anyhow, that was by the by. Um, and unfortunately, he came. He played a lot on um, both Jacob Van Ruin and and Mitch Brown, who both had a day out. Um, Mitch Brown started off kicking five points straight, um, uh, particularly in the first quarter, and then probably had he had ten shots at goal by half time, but he'd sort of amended most of it by that stage and finished up with six goals um, for the game off his boot. JVR um, had first two two goals in the first ten minutes, but then he was primarily used as a as a backup ruck because um, Magic Door and as we found out today he's um, retired as of, as of today uh, because he wasn't available. So uh, JVR spent most of the game actually in the ruck backing up uh, Bell, who uh, is the Casey normally the Casey. Um, uh, ruck. Tomlinson at the back line was simply a, a class above everything else. He was a bit like Lever in the seniors. He just took everything and <laughs> repelled all these attacks. Casey kicked the opening five goals, so the first game the game was effectively over in the first quarter. And because Casey had such a, was so dominant in that first quarter, it was a bit like watching a, an NTFL game. There weren't too many tackles being applied by the opposition. Casey just seemed to be running absolutely rampant everywhere with no one stopping them. Um, yeah, so at halftime, they had a 55-point lead. Um, JVR chopped in a, a 
chimed in for another goal in the first half, uh, working very hard. Um, other Melbourne players, Melchum was Melchum. Um, still doesn't seem to put in an awful lot of effort to everything he does. When he gets the ball, he's fine. Does some magnificent uh penetrating kicks but as far as effort um, I'm not sure that it's uh, there that's needed to get himself back into the seniors uh, Dunstan was just in everything lots of grunt um, but his kicking just keeps on letting him down you know so he could he could provide a lot more options and he's certainly sitting at the back of the pack in terms of the Melbourne midfield he's not going to break into that um, without an injury occurring Chandler was doing really well um, Brown kicked his six goals only in the second and third quarter and then completely stopped and disappeared from the game but he was probably worn out from leather poisoning um, we had a 78 point lead at three quarter time and it finished up 76 points I think they just sort of quite literally put the cue away and the opposition were completely demoralised so the last quarter <laughs> barely made it to the um, I think it was about 28 or 29 minutes because nobody really kicked any goals after after the three quarter siren so um yeah, Brown, in fact, had no touches in the final quarter. But, yeah, it was a completely dominant um, performance by Casey, who had it all over quite literally in the first 10 minutes of the first quarter. It's interesting, George, that they're running JVR in the ruck. They've done that a few times. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I wonder whether that's part of you know his football education is, is they want to get him in the game, give him other... Like, I can't see him being a... a um, a ruckman in like a backup ruck no, in the no, seniors. No. Um, maybe we need them, but there's you know I, Bell seems not a bad player actually. I wouldn't you know yeah. he, he goes alright, but even in that, even in the absence of um, Majak and sort of Bell being a, the second to Majak, the um, he still doesn't strike me as the player I'd choose to be the backup ruck. Maybe we're you know no, no. Tomlinson would be I would have thought would be more the one I'd choose, but you know as I say, I wonder if it's part of his development. Yeah, I, I think that's the case. I mean, you don't really need to be putting 19-year-olds in against, you know, as, as the case is often often the case, um, seasoned big ruckman in the VFL, you know, with yeah. lots of games under their belt. I suspect it might be more to the point of actually getting uh, miles in the kid's legs. Yeah, yeah, um, get him out of the forward line, get, get him, him out running of, around yeah. the ground, get his yeah. clicks up. Yeah, 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 it's probably a good yeah. point. I mean, he's competitive enough, isn't he, to, yeah. to do it, to scrap for it. Just I, I didn't watch. I watched about three, four minutes of the game, <laughs> of which about you know two of those minutes were on my telephone. But it, just on the ground, it was hilarious. It looked like they'd put a camera, like the one camera, because it's that the the, the um, VFL coverage, and it looked like it was miles away from it. But the ground has is a bit. I think that's the one we we've trained on when we go up for our camps up there. I'm pretty sure. It's where there's twin grounds, but not only is it circular, it looks almost circular. It's there's a huge um, gap between the boundary line and where the fence is. So the ground itself, through that camera work, you couldn't see the boundary line. It looked like what sort of what are they playing on? <laughs> it's like in the old days when footy first started, and they didn't have any point posts, or they just played in an open field. That's what it looked like. Um, all right, let's move on to uh, the changes for this week. Um, with the success of both uh, Jackson and Weed in the ruck uh, role, I don't think the club is likely to re- risk bringing Max back this week, perhaps just giving him that extra time to completely heal and probably be ready for the top of the table clash against the Cats if he feels all right. Are we going to let it ride and go into the match against the Crows unchanged or do you think uh, we will make some changes, Bin Man? This one's... The surely the easiest one of the season. I would, mm. you know, if there are any changes, it'll be COVID or an injury that pops yeah. up. I mean, it would go against Goody's, you know, whole mantra is no way. What what changes would you make for a start? We we flogged them. We're brilliant. You know, as even with my comment about, you know, having an asterisk on their performance, we were terrific, weren't we? Our attitude was awesome. There wasn't a passenger you know, everyone played their role, as Goody said, multiple times. You know, the role execution was top-notch. If you hear Gus's interview after the game, all he talked about was role execution. Um, Goody's made it clear if players play their role, they stay in the team. So I can't see anyone coming out of that team. Hey, George? No, likewise. Can't, can't see any changes. We don't need to take any make any changes and we still are lacking that um, ruck and or... Uh, 
forward position, so we'll run with what we've got. Um, there's no point in bringing Max back uh, for this game. Uh, it's against Adelaide, and um, with a bit of luck, let's hope, keep the fingers crossed that he's available for the uh, Geelong game. Yeah, and it does provide the opportunity to for Weed to get another game, you know, and, um, you know, he... he Whatever you, wherever you land on the weed um, discussion or weed v T-Mac, T-Mac's not in the team. We need, mm. uh, we need a um, fit and firing weed. He might be the difference. Uh, you know that would, he might be the difference between us winning a flag or not. Uh, well, let's go into our opposition watch. Uh, last uh, year, we went into our first clash against the Crows at Adelaide Oval, undefeated, and came home with our tails between our legs at the time the crows had only won three games yet were able to match it with us winning in controversial circumstances however we only had ourselves to blame coughing up a 16 point lead with about eight minutes to go and this year the crows are faring about the same as they were last season they just notched up their fifth win uh for the year against the lackluster kangaroos they walked away from the match a little banged up with uh, walker back mchenry concussion fogarty elbow macadam ankle and hamill concussion listed on the match report as sustaining injuries i'm not sure how severe any of those are walker kicked six and fogarty kicked four whilst laird and keys racked up over 30 possessions each be man what can we expect uh, from uh, the crows uh, i've not watched a huge amount of the Crows this year and I watched a little bit of that game, but um, against the Roos, to be honest, you can't really take anything from that game. There's Roos are in a world of world of trouble. Though. Like they just didn't look competitive. Um, I, I, if I was a Crows fan, I'd be a little disappointed. I mean, maybe their sort of journey to the top is never, as these fans know, it doesn't sort of go in a linear way up. But in some ways, I feel felt like their ball movement was better last year. Maybe they've looked at, you know, improving their defensive system in the sort of way that um, we do. But um, I feel like they've sort of plateaued a little bit in terms of the way they play. They're a little bit one-dimensional. Um, you know, they've they've got a good forward line now with Tex Walker um, in in really good form. You know, they're, they're definitely a contested ball team. They're, they're first in number in tackles per game, which I, I found curious. They're fourth in clearances per game, which is um, super impressive for a team um, where they are on the ladder. Um, they're ranked fifth in rebound 50s per game. Um, interesting stat is that probably does flow on from last year, high handball team, so they're fifth in handballs um, per game. But they, you know, the, the sort of corollary to that, they're 16th in kicks per game, they have 16th in marks. 14th points per game. Um, so, you know, I find it a little bit hard to work out, you know, when, when you hear about the Melbourne method and, the, the you know, the identifiable brand, I felt like it was more identifiable for the Crows last year than it is this year. Um, you know, I'm not quite sure what their sort of one would is if, if you know, to mix my metaphors. Um, you know, I... I I, to be honest, felt that they were more da- when we were playing them last year. They were more damaged. We were more likely to win that game, uh, sorry, lose that game last year than we are this year because they're not nearly as uh, aggressive with their ball movement um, as they were last year. Maybe that was evident that you know the flip side to being aggressive with your ball movement is the good teams pick you off in the corridor and hurt you going back the other way. So maybe they've looked to sort of. Um, shore up the defence and be a little bit aggressive, uh, um, a little bit less ag- aggressive. Um, but they're not getting it inside their 50. They're 15th for inside 50s, so 14th in inside 50. So they're not getting it. Unlike Melbourne, who are a forward half team, they're not getting it in their 50. So that means they're stuck in between the arcs, um, between the two 50-metre arcs a lot. Um, so, yeah, I reckon they're just going. I don't know about you guys, how, how you see the Crows. Yeah, I watched all of this game, unfortunately, um, because I'd seen North Melbourne play a couple of weeks ago as well, and they were just as awful. Um, like you said, you can't take much out of this game because North are in a lot of pain, but they were just awful across the whole whole ground. Um, the body language was terrible, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Taron Thomas, I think, what, three possessions mm. or something ridiculous yeah. for the game. His mother <coughs> died or his grand, like it was ridiculous uh, that he was playing. And, and anyhow, um, 
when you said uh, you don't know what uh, Adelaide's one wood is, it's it's Tex Walker. Um, that's it. Let's kick it long to Tex. And if Tex doesn't get it, Fogarty picks up a couple. They kicked 10 out of their 17 goals for the game. So, But the goals that they got were just so ridiculously easy um, because there, were, there was no North defence of any real structure there. It was just an awful game. And it's worthwhile noting that out of Adelaide's last eight games, their two wins have come against West Coast and North. We know where both of those teams are sitting yeah. on the ladder. This isn't, uh, like like you said, last year when we um, uh, ran into Adelaide at this time of the year, um, they look far superior in, and capable than what they do this year. Um, I, they're, they're only using one ruck, which is going to be to our advantage. They're using O'Brien almost exclusively. So that, that will play into our hands in the absence of Gorn. Um, I don't, can't, don't even know who their who their backup ruck was, but um, uh, it's not a serious ruckman by any stretch. O'Brien um, is down from where he was last year. He's not playing as well, but he's in there. Um, there's a big doubt over Tex in any case, even though he kicked six goals uh, from the commentators. They said they didn't know whether he's going to play because of a calf issue up to 15 minutes before the game. Um, so if that's still around, it's, it's not inconceivable that he may not play the next week, but uh, wait and see on that. Laird was certainly their best mid, but that was it. Um, yeah. the, rest of, the rest of their mids are all kids, and unfortunately they're going to come up against the best midfield in the competition um, this coming week. So um, I think they're, they're going to really struggle, and um, as long as we concentrate on... Um, on playing the way that we did uh, this week, uh, I don't think we'll uh, have any uh, real problems disposing of Adelaide. The problem for them in terms of their reliance on Fogarty and um, and and more so Tex is that in that game against the Ruse, I mean, Tex was half of his goal and Fogarty's, they were all one-on-one contests. Yep. He won't get any one-on-one contests to get Melbourne. Like, he'll, he, that won't happen. Not once all day here will he get a one-on-one. There will be two or three players coming across the contest and smashing it, just like we do as we've talked about how we set up and play against Port. They, they're they probably less reliant on Dixon this year, partly because he was out or he's been out for a big chunk of the season. But when, you've, when your model is built around let's kick it to our big tall forward, the only way... Um, you're going to be able to get some goals out of them is you can ice, if you can isolate them one on one, and um, you know they've got to move the ball quick to do that. As the, in our three losses, um, so yeah, that that's not a good recipe to be able to score enough. As I said, I suspect that I won't be surprised if we come out a little bit flat in this game. That we've put another block of training in, and um, and we might be a little bit flat. So I wouldn't be expecting a smashing like we we handed out, um, but I can't see them having enough firepower or enough, you know, their, their only way really of winning that game is to do what the three losses did, is move the ball super, super quick, but they're not be, they've not been doing that. Um, that's not the way they've been playing. So I don't know that they can suddenly turn that on the way Collingwood and the Swans and Frio did against us. Uh just having flashbacks to when I travelled to Adelaide last year. <laughs> it's time for another inoculation, Andy. Yeah, we got to you got to need a home kit before the game this time. Yeah. <laughs> All right, boys. I think we're going to leave it uh, leave it there. Um, we'll be back next week. I'll, I'll actually be away for for the match, but I will be watching and uh, we will, uh, providing I've got uh, decent internet access, uh, we will be doing the podcast. Uh, might sound a little bit different, but uh, we will get it uh, done. So we'll be back next week. Uh, let's go, Demons. Go Red Leggers. <laughs>